I'm Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. Welcome to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for a special episode of the Amazing Spider-Talk. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review to help spread the word about our show. This podcast exists because of the support of our Patreon members. If you want to receive early episodes, exclusive artwork, and keep this podcast going, go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com and consider joining our Patreon, where all the episodes of Season 6 are going up several weeks early, including interviews with some of our favorite Spider-Man creators. Today on the show, I've got something extra special before we kick off Season 6 of our show next week. My friend, comics writer and editor Alex Segura, who you may know from his award-winning novel Secret Identity and his recent work in the Marvel Voices and Edge of the Spider-Verse series, has a new book out set in the Spider-Man universe. The book, entitled Aranya and Spider-Man 2099 Dark Tomorrow, published by Marvel Press, was just released to bookstores and has been garnering rave reviews. I was excited to read it, surprised that Aranya was getting such high-profile treatment. I don't think her name is one Mark and I have ever mentioned on our show. In the end, I greatly enjoyed my time with the book and wanted to talk to Alex Segura on our show about his new title. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Alex and check out his book. Well, now let's meet one of our amazing spider friends, the kind of guy I go to other friends who recommend. Find out about the things they created. You'll love them so much that you wish you dated. But you're just friends. They're an amazing friend, a friend, a friend, a friend. They're an amazing friend. Well, welcome to the show, Alex Segura. I've wanted to have you on the show forever. We've known each other in a variety of different positions, me as your student, and then kind of an online relationship. You ran this great, and you're still doing this great Spider-Man blog where you've been slowly reading through the whole history of the character, and that's been a fun journey to, to read. Uh, you just seem like a really nice guy just generally, and you have a great knowledge of Spider-Man, so I wanted to have you on, and I wanted to find the right time, and hey, you know what? The universe finds a way of having the right time, which is the publishing of your new book, Aranya and Spider-Man 2099 Dark Tomorrow from Marvel Press. Welcome to the Amazing Spider-Talk. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been a long-time long time fan, a long-time listener, first-time guest, so uh, yeah, you know... Um, I appreciate the deep dives y'all do. And the Epic Spider reread has been a journey. I, I'm still doing it. I haven't been posting that much on 
in terms of 13th Dimension just because of how busy I am with other writing, but I think I'm I'm finishing up the JMS run as we speak. Oh, nice. End of the JMS run, famously beloved. Yes, it is a run that happened. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, well, speaking of that kind of time, you've got this new book out about Aranya and Spider-Man 2099. Aranya, you know, kind of came into prominence in that era of Spider-Man, the kind of like early aughts. What's your relationship with both of these characters? Are they ones that you immediately gravitated to or are something you've kind of come to over the time? Spider-Man 2099, I have a very strong bond with in terms of just, I remember vividly as a kid when that first issue came out. And I remember being a particularly kind of just a, a complicated time for the spider books with the clone saga in full swing and um, Peter Parker taking a relatively dark path, you know, the, uh, the faked death of his parents, you know, the, the, when, when you find out the chameleon was behind the whole thing and that Harry was behind the chameleon's plan to have these, I forget the word they use, like uh, adaptoid type characters that are. Yeah. They're androids. I don't know if there's a specific name, but I think they called them androids at some point. Yeah, yeah. they're androids. And um, it, it just sent him on a really dark path as a character. And then Spidey 2099 came out. And at first I was really defensive. I was like, another Spider-Man, you can't have that. But then I really identified with the character. He was a Latinx superhero. I, I love Peter David. I grew up with Peter David's stuff on Spider-Man and X-Factor. And I really, I always thought that he had a great voice for Spidey and seeing him paired up with one of my favorite artists at the time, Rick Leonardi and now Williamson, who was a legend. It's really an iconic run for me. I go back to it a lot. I reread it a lot. It's kind of Spidey 101, even though it's not Peter Parker, Spider-Man. It's just, you know, the world is so well lived in and the characters are so memorable, especially the villains, a lot of cool villains and the supporting cast. It's really, I love how it echoes classic Spider-Man, but also flips, flips a lot of the tropes, you know, the, the most obvious being, Instead of Spidey being the Joker, Miguel's kind of the Joker in his day-to-day. And then Spidey, his Spider-Man is much more dark and brooding and internal. As for Aranya, I also, I really remember her showing up and I was really intrigued because she's obviously set in the, the main Marvel Universe in the present day. And she's also a Latinx superhero. And I love, I, I love teen superheroes. I think she's she has a really fun background and backstory. And yeah, I, I, I think the connective tissue between them is obviously their backgrounds are both Latino superheroes and the most prominent, I think, in that space, along with Miles. I'd never really seen them interact together. So I think the idea of having them both kind of play off each other in a cool way was was what pulled me in at first. Uh, Miguel is obviously in the, you know, Dia de los Muertos costume, you know, very prominently, you know, not even really out of any kind of design other than the fact that in the story he has it laying around, which I, I guess is the most convenient way that they found to to make that, to, you know, to line that up and add a cultural flair to it. Can you speak to like, you know, people that don't know you culturally, you're Latinx yourself? Yeah. Yeah. My parents are Cuban. Yeah. My parents are Cuban. I was born and raised in Miami. So, yeah. How has that connected you with the characters? Do you, and 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 I, uh, did that find its way into the book? Did you find an opportunity to lean into that? I ask, even though I've read the book. First and foremost, there was a sense of identification there. I think, uh, especially when I was younger, like reading superhero comics, most of the leads were you know white male characters, and so seeing a Latinx spider hero, particularly one that was Spider Man, like there's no questioning. Like Miguel is the Spider Man of his time. It's not like he's. Um, an alternate version in the present day. He is he is Spider-Man. And so that felt really cool. And 
I think identification is really important for readers. I think seeing yourself in the characters you read and, and recognizing that you could be the, the, you know, these characters is really, you know, primal and important to experience as a reader. And so that was really, really fun for me as a kid. And, and I've always been fond of the character since that point. And so in, in terms of the book, it's the challenge with writing one of these novels is that you want it to be both welcoming, but also engaging for longtime fans. So there were definite points in continuity where you could see the book fitting in like early on in Aranya's career. But also there's a point in the at the end of the Peter David run when things get really dark for Miguel and he he doesn't necessarily hang up the spider costume, though in my version, he kind of does for a little while. And this is what brings him back. So it fits into continuity, but if you're a new reader and you're not familiar with these characters, it's welcoming enough that I hope it, it pulls you in and you don't feel like you have to have a doctorate in like Spider-Man to understand what's going on. That kind of um, heritage kind of connects you to the Marvel publishing side of things. You have you wear many different hats, literally and figuratively, at least it appears, because you're wearing a hat right now, uh, for those who are watching the video version. I know you as like a teacher and an editor and, and now like, you know, a writer in the Marvel Universe. You kind of did this, you know, these kind of books that Marvel's been doing recently, this Marvel Voices, and they've been promoting new voices you know, on these books, you know, a lot of people of color they're bringing in to kind of bring in new perspectives and, you know, ways to look at their characters and maybe even elevate characters that they've had in the past that have been maybe kind of forgotten or maybe haven't gotten quite the spotlight in a while. Can you talk about doing some of those titles? Yeah, those are a lot of fun. I got to uh, write a Sunspot story in the first one I was part of. And the second one I wrote was White Tiger, uh, the, the modern iteration of White Tiger. That was fun because we got to basically create and introduce a new character to to kind of play off White Tiger, which was which was really neat. I think the benefit of these anthologies is, like you said, it, it brings in new voices. It brings in authentic voices for some of the characters and, and allows allows readers to kind of tap into this great talent pool and, and see and see these beloved characters written by other creators and and hopefully it leads to more opportunities it has led you know to more writing for marvel for me like obviously the novel but i got to write an anya story for edge of spider-verse number one the the original series and that was really fun because in the novel i'm dealing with anya's early days as an anya and in the short story in edge of spider-verse it really reestablishes her as an Anya as opposed to Spider-Girl and it brings her back to a version of her original costume and kind of gives her a new status quo and that tees her up for what happens later on in in the end of Spider-Verse stuff. That must have been really exciting to do because you got the, you know, the first chapter in this volume two of Edge of Spider-Verse and that first Edge of Spider-Verse, like, frankly, is probably more influential than the Spider-Verse story itself. I mean, like, you had, you had so many characters launch out of that series. Spider-Gwen and, what's her face, Spy slash Durr. I'm forgetting the name of the character. There's so many things that, like, that was a really fun series. What kind of direction were you given? Did you get to kind of just say, like, I want to feature Anya? Was that kind of something they wanted to uh, promote internally? You know, or did you, you know, decide, you know, I don't really want to create a new character necessarily. I want to push Anya in some way. Or tell me a little bit about, like, the direction you were given. Yeah, uh, Nick Lowe, the editor of the Spider Books, reached out and said, you know, we have an opportunity to kind of reestablish Anya as Aranya, and we thought you would be a good fit. Obviously, they knew the novel was coming, what was interesting is that the the story, this comic story, came out first, so that was really my first public, you know, story with Aranya. But 
I thought it was a great opportunity to synergize a little bit with the novel. Like obviously the novels and the prose stuff happens in their own continuities and aren't, you know, tied to what's going on in the comics, but in my kind of headcanon, it's all all one big continuity. So it was fun to to not only get her back into the into a version of the Aranya costume, which was redesigned by Humberto Ramos, who's amazing. And Kayo Mahato did the interior artwork and did a great job. And then also to kind of set up a new status quo for her, like a roommate. She's going to Empire State University. She's her life is moving on and she's got this new kind of status quo as as Aranya and a new calling in terms of just like the greater spider spider verse stuff. Have you had any conversations you can talk about since then about maybe featuring the character even even more in the future? Yeah, I mean, I think that would be a lot of fun. They know I love the character and I, I think the novel's gotten a lot of good buzz. So. You know, we'll see what happens. Tell me about this redesign of the costume. Is that something you had a hand in or you just kind of like hand that off to an expert like Humberto Ramos to take care of? Or did you give any notes like, look, if I got to, you know, this is the, my moment, you know, Aranya like needs a new costume. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my two cents in. How did that work? Yeah, I think the extent of my notes were emails that just said amazing this is amazing you know i mean when you were dealing with someone like humberto ramos who is like an all-time pro and has such a legacy with spider-man it really i think the first sketch i saw i was just my jaw dropped and i was like yep that's it like it's i think it, it threads the needle in such a cool way in that it honors what came before like aranya's original costume and hairstyle and vibe but also makes it feel modern and like she is very much an adult that's now continuing that legacy and i think it's great that she's back in that original identity because I think it was so unique to her that uh, no, no shade on when she was spider girl. I think that was fine too. And it made sense, but I think this is really where she belongs. It's funny that you say that about Ramos. I uh, w- was fortunate enough to get a commission from him a number of years ago. And when I was waiting in line, you know, like, what do you have from Berto Ramos draw? You know, like, you know, he, he uh, and, and uh, a friend of mine joked, like you could have him draw anything. And I, I said, like, I could have him draw a bar of soap and and it will be interesting and i i really like for about like half an hour considered going up there and saying like you know he would never get asked to draw a bar of soap but if i bet if i asked him to do that he would knock it out of the park but then it's like okay this is this is my shot do i really get him to draw a bar of soap and ultimately i didn't go forward with it but there will be a day where i ask humberto ramos to draw the best bar of soap so what did you have him draw Oh, I got him to draw his kind of redesign of the superior Spider-Man costume because that's the one that he designed, you know, as much as I love the Ryan Stegman design of the initial costume, Humberto came in and created something really iconic. And so, I mean, look, I know it's cliche. He's probably drawn it a million times and maybe he rolls his eyes at, at doing it again. But, you know, at the end of the day, as much as that soap probably was going to be great, I do want to look at his Spider-Man on my wall. Well, I mean, sometimes you want to play that. You want people to play the hits and that's the hit. Right. Yeah. Play Freebird, Humberto Ramos. Yeah, Um, (laughs) Yeah, please. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about, you know, you've got this new book. Uh, I'll say the name one more time. Aranya and Spider-Man 2099 Dark Tomorrow from Marvel Press. How did this come together? You know, were you approached by Marvel about about this? Yeah, they reached out. I think Disney Books has obviously the Marvel Press imprint, and they also publish some Star Wars stuff. So I had written Poe Dameron Freefall, which is Poe's origin story, and it came out right around the last Star Wars film. You know, as we meet Zori Bliss and all these like characters that hint at Poe's backstory, they wanted a book that connected those dots. And so I did that, and that was a lot of fun. And 
I'm assuming I was relatively easy to work with. So they thought, okay, well, let's have let's have Alex, who also has this background with comics, do do a Spider Spider Man book, kind of adjacent to the Spider Verse movie coming out. And when they asked, you know, what heroes I wanted to work with, Aranya and Miguel were top of atop my list just because I think, like I was saying a little bit earlier, I think they're they had never they have interacted obviously in bigger like Spider Verse type events where all the Spider heroes are around, but I can't recall them, and maybe you can correct me. I can't recall them having a meaningful like one on one team up. Yeah, no, I, I I don't even even recall them exchanging words necessarily with each other. Right. Yeah. So I thought it would be interesting to have these two like notable Latinx spider heroes not only team up, but also learn from each other. Like what is Aranya looking to learn as a new hero and what can Miguel? I'm fascinated by the idea of like constantly learning and not being closed off to lessons and life lessons and things like that. And I thought I thought that it would be great to see kind of Anya on the upswing starting out and Miguel kind of crashing and burning and what could pull him out of that darkness. You know, what could motivate him to become Spider-Man again? Because without spoiling too much, Anya is sent into the future. She finds that her powers are on the fritz and she knows that there's this bigger threat looming. So her first thought is, let me call Spider-Man. She knows there's a Spider-Man in this future. Um, It's a few years after 2099, it's 2105. But the Spider-Man she finds is not you know, the one she would expect. It's, 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 he's not even, doesn't even want to be Spider-Man. You know, he does it under duress. And so the, the arc of the story is how she pulls him out of that and into embracing who he is, his destiny and, and vice versa. He teaches her, you know, what it takes to be a hero. And, and later on, you learn that the, the big bad who we can get into because it is a Spider-Man deep cut. We learn that the big bad is actually draining the potential of spider heroes across the universe and using that energy to awaken an even darker evil. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of like really niche Spider-Man stuff going oh, on good. in here. Yeah. That, like, yeah I really like, want to hear like how you reacted to. Oh, to- totally. Of, well, yeah. we'll definitely get to that stuff. I'm not, I'm, there's no way I'm overlooking the villain that was ultimately landed on here uh, because uh, he's a villain from when I started reading comics, you know, speaking of like the nineties, these Spider-Man related novels were like really big in the nineties, you know, like I, I had like a half dozen Spider-Man fights Venom novels that were out yeah, there. Yeah, I think Diane Duane wrote a few. Keith uh, R.A. DeCandido wrote a few of them. I know there was a short story collection that I really liked called Ultimate Spider-Man that Peter David had the closing story. I think it's called Five Minutes. And it was just a short little vignette. But I was like, wow, you can really do like some meaningful prose stuff with these characters. And that's always stuck with me and, and was inspirational to me in some way for the book. Well, that's what I was curious about, because like they have been like fairly absent or infrequent. And, you know, suddenly here comes this book from you with Aranya on the cover who, you know, like is kind of still a deep cut in 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 among Spider-Man fans. You know, like she had her moment in the early aughts and has been sprinkled in here and there. And like this book is, you know, pretty high profile for, you know, a character like that. Was there any pushback on like leaning so heavily into this kind of, I I wouldn't say forgotten, but really kind of like underutilized character enough that she even just got turned into like, you know, not not to bash on Spider-Girl, but that is a rotating door defense against the dark arts kind of position. So tell me about that. Yeah, no, there was never any pushback. I think the idea was let's like let's elevate this character and really put her, you know, put her in a position where she is the protagonist and is the star. I think I was the one that kind of suggested like let's also make it a co-headliner, like let's make sure Spidey 2099 is in the title and like people can kind of see that 
what this is because I think Aranya on her own, like maybe casual readers wouldn't understand like what it's about, you know, and I think having Spider-Man in the title lets you know, okay, this is kind of like a Spider-Verse type adventure where it's a multiple spider heroes, but no, they were very supportive. Um, and I think very eager to really put the spotlight on Aranya, which I think is great because I think she's a, she's a wonderful character and there's a lot of potential there. And from what I've heard from people, the response has been good to the book and, and just her story. And, and that's really been reaffirming for me. She also falls right into that space of like YA protagonist and at which the book is, is, you know, I, from reading it, I think it's squarely aimed at, uh, which is not to be diminishing of, of the book at all. YA is like, uh, I, I was about to jokingly say YA is ascendant, but really YA is everything now. Do you see this book as like, maybe you have an understanding of this, but uh, you know, beyond your book, do you feel like this is going to be part of a greater push from Marvel to lean into this kind of YA novel space? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's it is a YA novel, and, and Anya is a perfect YA protagonist. But I also like as a writer, I write I just write stories the way I write stories. Like obviously, there's like concerns about content. Like it's not an adult novel, it's not a crime novel. But I think in terms of YA, what I try to focus on is the emotional arc because you know as teenagers, our emotions are much sharper and much more fraught, and it's about coming of age. So the, the arc I wanted to focus on was. Anya just having gotten her powers and ending without spoiling anything with accepting and understanding that this is my, you know, my lot in life, but also like what I want to be. I want to be this hero. And I think there's a lot of potential in in, in that story because at this point, Peter Parker is an adult and Spider-Man is this established thing. And so I think a lot of people can relate to superheroes that are still kind of finding their way, which isn't to say that Peter Parker has no drama, but I mean, he's much more established and confident as Spider-Man. And so if you're looking for stories where it's a spider hero kind of trying to find her footing, this is a good place for that. I was going to ask you if you might summarize the pitch of the book, but you did such a great job of it. And thematically you've been threading that needles. I think it's time that we talk about the villains. You know, this book features a lot of villains and characters from the nineties and early aughts. And I'm going to say it like the scryers and Judas traveler. Two names I did not ever expect. Like, who's not at my dinner table, uh, Alex? You know, like, uh, these are, you know, if if Aranya is somewhat forgotten, these are maybe intentionally forgotten villains. I'm curious if this was intentional, you wanted to find someone from obscurity or a limitation provided by the editors, or really if they're just favorites of yours. I love the character. I was obviously the Clone Saga was one of my early big events as a Spider-Man reader. I started with the Eric Larson run in Amazing and then kind of kept going. And obviously the Clone Saga was a couple years after that. But Judas Traveler always struck me as a villain that, you know, came in, showed up and was really meant to be a big bad, like a really big menace. And then for whatever reason, editorial dictates or just the the need to kind of steer things back to the post-Clone Saga status quo or the pre-Clone Saga status quo, I felt got a little bit of a short shrift. So I thought, you know, he's, he's a cool character. He has a lot of potential. And I always knew there was going to be a second beat without spoiling anything, he's obviously trying to awaken another evil, which is a bigger, more menacing dad. And so when you get to that point, hopefully it's a surprise, but it's also a more recognizable villain in terms of the Spider-Verse. I love playing in that Clone Saga continuity. Like, I love this. Is it Scryers? I always said it's Screers in my head, but I guess it could be Scryers. I'm not sure, honestly. I've only ever seen it on the page, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I thought that was fun to play with. And then there were some other like little nods to to just old school, like 90s spider continuity, like Demo Goblin and things like that. But it was just fun. And I think for me, it was a blast to insert that as a reader and a fan. But I also felt like it wasn't it didn't require too much assembly. Like I didn't require the reader to have read the entire clone. So I got to understand who like Judas Traveler is or, you know, who these characters are. And I tried my best to explain them um, as top line as possible. I put a big smile on my face in, in the opening of the book where uh, you have Aranya fighting Stegron, the dinosaur man, and uh, reanimating skeletons in the Natural History Museum. You know, shout out to Amazing Spider-Man 165 and 166. F- favorites of mine, because that's kind of how I met Mark, the co-host of this show, is by making making fun of, like, constantly bu- uh, badgering him to review those comics. You know, Stegron is a is a household favorite uh, over here. Yeah, I no, I love the character. As a I won't kid, reveal. I, like... I won't reveal the uh, big bad of your story because it definitely put a smile on my face seeing that character elevated and used in this way. I did like a lot of uh, again again to get into the kind of weeds of your book. Having read it, it I like how you kind of reoriented this as like a an, an you know there's time travel and there's not necessarily dimension hopping unless you count. 2099 as it is, as its own dimension which I think it has now been established as I don't think that really matters to your story it doesn't it, it doesn't like there are some nods to the spider-verse um, there's another character from the spider-verse that shows up in the third act here in a prominent role that I won't reveal either I liked how you found a way to, to take Aranya's origins with the you know spider society and the sisterhood of the wasps which weirdly now with Dan Slott's Spider-Man story finds itself even more making sense in the world of the Spider-Verse. Was that something that you knew was coming from Dan Slott or had talked to him about or like a happy coincidence that the spiders and wasps thing? Yeah, happy coincidence. And it was cool to see it roll out in the comics kind of in parallel. Like it was not by design, but it was, you know, obviously when I wrote the Aranya comic story, I could tease that the sisterhood was coming back and and that was in play in the comics. But um, I think in terms of the novel, it was really more to just streamline it a bit. So someone reading it felt like you did, you know, sometimes I think the challenge with licensed novels, especially based on comics is that you're not giving enough and the reader feels like they have to do their homework. And I really wanted it to feel self-contained and and obviously there's hints to other things and what, what happened before and what's to come. But uh, I didn't want the reader to feel like they're only getting like a snippet of a bigger story. But I also wanted to keep that feeling of a comic book, like the guest stars. I loved having that spider hero showed up, show up in the third act because at that point you're reading the novel and you're like, well, these are the heroes and this is it. But you have this kind of curveball thrown in and it's hopefully it's a cool moment and then the idea that Judas Traveler is trying to awaken even bigger bad, I thought was a nice twist too. And so I wanted to keep the stakes high, but also have it feel like it's its own big adventure on its own, not just like part one of 12, you know? Well, uh, you're saying, you know, adventure on its own. Like it, it does kind of like there are, when I was reading it, I was constantly trying to orient myself in continuity because that's what I do. I'm a major spider nerd. Although I, I hadn't read the Aranya stuff since it was published, found myself immediately immersed in her world again. There's like, I think your like fourth chapter is like 30, 40 pages long that like really spells out her origin. And, and I was really grateful for that because I, it was, 
it had been a while and you did it in such a naturalistic way that I found myself really, you know, uh, ba- back in that world. But there are elements of the continuity that don't line up at all. And I, at a certain point, I just kind of said, I'm just going to enjoy this adventure and and stop trying that. But in terms of your writing process, you know, you've got you mentioned earlier, Miguel is a retired hero. Aranya has like a, a bit of a different power set than she does in the comics. She doesn't really ever mention her carapace which used to be a thing and love it or hate it. How do you decide on what elements of the universe and continuity you were going to use? Because sometimes you lean really heavily into it. And other times it's like, yeah, I don't really like that element. So I'm going to move past it. I think it's always consistency over continuity. Like you don't want to feel like you have you're burdened by everything that's come before, but you also want to make sure the characters are behaving like themselves. And that was the goal is to, you know, have someone who's familiar with, Anya or Miguel read it and be like, that's them. Like, that's how they would act under these circumstances. And like I said before, like, I think there are definite points in actual continuity where this book could fit in, but obviously it's not going to sync up 1000%. I took the elements that I thought were most compelling from the character. And that's kind of the benefit of writing something that's a little bit out of continuity that you can tinker and tweak. And it's really about trying to make the characters as accessible as possible and as, you know, welcoming to like casual readers without, like you said, without losing the hardcore fans who might balk if you change something too, too egregiously. So yeah, it was a balancing act, but hopefully it it worked. How does your approach for something like this, like a a novel in terms of continuity, uh, differ from your approach to say like writing in the Marvel universe? You know, especially if you get more opportunities to do that. You do you, you know? Do you try to read all that you can and and make it fit as much as possible, or do you trust that like story wins over continuity most of the time? I think with something like this, I I, I read, I reread all the Peter David Rick Leonardi stuff. I reread all the Peter David stuff after Rick left, and then I continued to read kind of the other iterations of Spidey twenty ninety nine. Especially, you know, a lot of it was him kind of showing up in the present and how he interacted with the main Spider cast. Um, and I did revisit all the Aranya original stuff. I think the continuity is a little stricter when you're writing in comics because it's all one ongoing narrative. So I can't just, I can't freely just say, Oh, I, I don't want to count that. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, even with something like where I'm reestablishing Anya's status quo, it's not a reboot. So all that stuff happened and I have to recognize that it happened. And so it's a little more linear. Whereas with the novel, it's its own continuity. So I could be a little more freewheeling, but I didn't want to seem inconsiderate, you know, like I was just, ignoring stuff. I did I did reread the stuff and I kind of cherry picked the stuff that I felt was most important, but I don't have that kind of flexibility with the comics, which is part of the fun too. Like how do you make it work? Well, I, I thought you did a really good job threading the needle. I mean, because to me always the most important thing is the thematic element and, you know, the, the way you use the characters reinforces that thematic idea. You know, that gets even into the MacGuffin of your story, which is this device called El Obelisco. And it's this object that Aranya comes into a path with and and the means of her traveling into the future. And I won't get into the details of that, but it's ultimately like revealed a little bit into the story that the 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 power of this thing is to steal spider people's potential. And to me, that's kind of thematically at the core of the story. Can you can you talk about the idea of something that takes away your potential and why centering this story around that was so important to you? 
Yeah, it just felt like a really interesting theme because I was getting both heroes at particularly sensitive points or by choice, by design, like Miguel at a low point, Anya kind of struggling to figure out who she is and how to do this. And you can almost explain that behavior through the device. Like this device has taken your potential and now you're kind of left uh, rudderless. And I think part of the theme of the book is that you're you should always be open to learning from other people you know obviously the cliche is like the young hero learns from the old grizzled mentor and can kind of figure out her way but the flip side is you know the old grizzled mentor has made some bad choices sometimes and maybe they could learn a thing or two from a, a young superhero that's still wide-eyed and excited to be there so it's it is a MacGuffin in many ways and I think hopefully it's the proper use of a MacGuffin which is to kind of open the door to thinking about bigger themes like you know, uh, friendship and understanding and acceptance and, and uh, you know, always being open to learning. And the idea that you, you know, I think we all look back on our lives and wonder what could have been if we did this or did that. And I think as long as you try and do the best you can, you won't look back on those things with regret. And I think that's, that's kind of the undercurrent of the book, which is a, you know, high flying adventure page turner. But I did want to interject some kind of deeper meaning to it as well. And I love the kind of chicken and egg kind of element to it, which is to say, you know, were was their potential, you know, and motivation being limited inherently to their character? Like in Miguel's case, he is kind of retired and settled on like running Alchemex. At first, it seems like, oh, you know, that's just, you know, part of Miguel's character. He's always been a little bit crotchety and maybe a little reluctant to engage with this. And there were a lot of costs to him personally that have been undone and redone, depending on what continuity you believe in, you know, yours makes a real declarative choice in that matter. And I won't say what it is, you know, by the, by the, a certain point in the story, the question is like, Oh, what was this related to this MacGuffin that has been, you know, taking the spider out of the man, so to speak. And Aranya, too, you know, hers maybe takes a more, like, physical toll on her in terms of zapping her power set. But I I liked always asking myself, like, is this the work of uh, Judas Traveler and his El Obelisco, or is this, you know, something inherent to their characters? And I, I won't reveal where the story goes, but by the end, I felt very, like, I came down in a solid place and was reaffirmed with these people and their place in the Spider-Verse, so to speak. Was that an intentional design for you to keep that question open? Yeah, I wanted people to wonder if, you know, obviously with Anya, it's much clearer. Like she gets blasted by the device and suddenly her powers aren't working thereby like very physically affecting her potential. You can't really be a spider hero with your, if your powers aren't working well. Whereas with Miguel, it was a little more esoteric in that, you know, at some point Traveler interfered with him and manipulated his life, but did he have a direct... Was he the reason Miguel quit being Spider-Man? I leave that kind of up to the reader, but it is resolved in a meaningful way, hopefully, at the end. And that was by design. I think Anya was just starting out, and I needed a clear like threat. And weaving Traveler into Miguel's story was fun and, and gave him a little bit more of a darker, subversive strategy uh, that I thought was interesting to play with. And I never had seen those characters interact either, so I felt like that was a fun kind of duality there, too. Okay, so moving on from the book, you know, people who haven't read any Aranya or Spider-Man 2099 comics, 
you know, and, and maybe they've read your book and they want to read some comics or vice versa. They want to immerse themselves in these worlds. Uh, do you have any particular comics that you would point them towards like reading if they wanted a crash course or a way to get into these characters? Yeah, for sure. For for Aranya, I think uh, definitely check out the original uh, series by Fiona Avery and Mark Brooks. I hope I'm getting the credits right. It's a great kind of launch pad into who she is, her personality, her contrast with the other spider heroes. And that's, in, in, the, that's in the pages of Amazing Fantasy Volume 2, correct? Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's like follow-up stuff after that that I would continue with. I also think in terms of Spidey 2099, you can't go wrong with that initial batch of stories by Peter David, Rick Leonardi, and Al Williamson. And I will say that the new stuff by Steve Orlando and a few great artists has been a lot of fun. The Dark Genesis stuff, and um, then there's a new miniseries that just launched that was re- that's really good in terms of like reestablishing Miguel in 2099 and also really expanding the world of 2099, which was always fun. Like, when am I going to see the 2099 version of Ghost Rider? Or I think they just introduced like Blade 2099, which was a lot of fun. But yeah, the Peter David stuff to me is really the high watermark for the character, especially like in establishing his world and a lot of the things that I definitely pulled from for the novel so if you want a good introduction to that character and his supporting cast then you can't go wrong with that and rick leonardi's art and is 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 on a whole other level i mean there are issues with real rick leonardi and issues without rick leonardi and like i don't want to bash those other artists you know in any way but like he's like really a core part of the soul of Spider-Man 2099 and and that collaboration. Although I will say Steve Orlando, I'm glad you mentioned him and and the new miniseries he's doing with artist Justin Mason. Steve Orlando has a a use of language unlike I've ever seen applied to the 2099 universe. It is very sci-fi and very uh, like that kind of like weird all like an it's like another language and you have to kind of let yourself absorb it. And I think it's such daring stuff. I, I, I've been really enjoying it. I'm so glad you you mentioned it. Um, yeah, no, it's really fun. And it's so good to see like Miguel in a starring role again in the comics, for sure. So let me ask you a couple personal questions, if you don't mind. What does it mean to you personally to write Spider-Man comics and, and, and these books, to work on this character that has spanned all of our lives and transmedia and, and is a, such a solid place in, in our culture? I mean, Spidey's always been my superhero. You know, like I read a lot. You know, I love Batman. I love all, you know, I love the X-Men. I love a lot of comics and characters. But, you know, I, Archie, obviously, Archie was my first comic book. But Spidey was the first superhero comic I bought. It was a digest, a reprint of Spectacular Spider-Man magazine number two, which is not the not the serialized comic, but a magazine size. You know this, but, I'll, you know, I'll just speak to the audience. But it's the magazine, the black and white magazine that Stan Lee did. The second issue is one of my favorite Green Goblin stories ever. And Romita draws people so beautifully, but he draws Norman Osborn with such menace and fear that I remember as a six or seven year old just being terrified. There's that opening scene where they're watching this film about the Green Goblin with Norman Osborn in the audience, which doesn't make a lot of sense. But, you know, that activates Norman Osborn and makes him want to be the Green Goblin again. And I just remember as a kid being really like walking to the car after picking up the issue at a grocery store, just being like totally terrified of this character. But also I feel like the, you know, Spider-Man and other spider heroes, that idea of like, you're not the Avengers, you're not the Fantastic Four, you're not Superman, you've still got to pay rent, 
you've got dating issues, you've got your aunt is always sick, uh, you can't you can't string a few good days together. I think that's so relatable. And also knowing that he is a really smart guy and has a lot of potential and you know that's kind of the real world struggle and on top of that he's got to save the world or save New York and and fight these colorful villains. Like the best heroes are defined by their villains and I think you'd be hard pressed aside from maybe Batman to find a rogues gallery that can compete with Spidey's rogues gallery. So yeah, I mean, I, I love the character. I think there's a moment in this book without spoiling anything where Peter Parker shows up in flashback as Spider-Man. And I just had to stop and say, I'm writing Spider-Man. I'm writing Peter Parker's Spider-Man. And that's pretty, pretty wild. That and was going to be my to, exact next question. How long did you sit with and doctor those specific lines to, you know, like to, to really like catch yourself, you know? I kind of did, you know, I guess I could have probably had him in there more, but I wanted it to feel special. I wanted that moment to feel special. And then there's a mention of where he is and why he's not in the story. And I thought that was kind of believable and and understandable that he would be off planet doing something else. I did have to kind of step back and say, I'm writing Spider-Man. And that's pretty cool because like you, I'm a a Spidey obsessive. I've I've reread the issues a lot of times. I've kind of approach it almost academically sometimes like how these characters exist and and the histories like one of my earliest spidey comics was that um index to the amazing spider-man like those issues because i didn't couldn't afford like those back issues so i started reading like these synopses and uh uh, marvel saga and all that stuff yeah yeah like it was just like there's so much going on there's so the tapestry of story is so awesome that um yeah it's wild it's a really a great privilege to be able to play in that sandbox and hopefully people enjoy it and i get more opportunities and if not i got this cool cool moment and uh, that is great well i had a great time reading the book and i hope some of our listeners check it out i'm looking forward to more writing from you you've had a crazy busy year winning awards and and publishing novels and and comic books if people want to catch up on all things alex segura uh, where can they do so (laughs) You can go to my website, alexsegura.com, and sign up for my newsletter, which will send regular updates like at least once every couple months or once a month. I'm also on Twitter, as long as that lasts, at Alex <laughs> underscore Segura, and uh, Instagram, Alex Segura Jr. And so. do you have anything that's coming out soon or, or has just come out that people should also check out? Yes. Obviously, there's this, Aranya Spider-Man 2099, which just came out May 2nd. I have a Return of the Jedi one-shot coming out from Marvel, which uh, focuses on Admiral Akbar, and it's drawn by Matt Horak, and he does a fantastic job. And it's a fun kind of espionage thriller set in the days before the Battle of Endor. So that was really neat. Um, I've got some other stuff that'll be announced soon. I'm trying to think what else. You know, I'm serializing the legendary links on Zestworld. And if you have read Secret Identity, which was my comic book noir novel, it has interstitial chapters with the comic book character the protagonist creates. It's called The Links. And so now we're expanding on that and doing actual full-length comics uh, with Sandy Gerald, who's an amazing artist. Yeah, that's the big stuff. Um, I'm also doing a two-part Green Lantern Night Terrors story focusing on Sinestro as part of that big DC crossover, which has been fun. So final question. Is there a quota on how many times Admiral Akbar has to shout it's a trap if you're writing Admiral Akbar fiction? It has to be at least once a page. Okay. <laughs> Just, that's the contractual obligation. I would accept no less. I would accept no less. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, well, that's what you're there for. Well, perfect. Well, thanks, uh, Alex Segura. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I hope everybody checks out Aranya and Spider-Man 2099, Dark Tomorrow, uh, in bookstores now. Yeah, thank you, Dan. This was a lot of fun. All right, it's that time. 
Time for all good things to come to an end, at least all good podcasting things. I want to issue a special thank you again to Alex Segura for coming on the show. I hope you check out his book, Aranya and Spider-Man 2099, Dark Tomorrow, available wherever books are sold. Or just check out the link in the description of this episode to pick yourself up a copy. I don't think you'll regret doing so. Plus, we wanted to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. This podcast exists because of listener support on the Patreon. For only $3.99 a month, you can help support our show's existence while getting early episodes, including reviews that we do the same week that comics release, exclusive artwork, and a ton of other bonuses. Thank you to everyone who already supports us and the work that we do. Plus, I wanted to issue a special thank you and welcome our newest patrons, Harry Murphy, Luke Chilton, Daniel Kibler, and Matt Hayes. To download our earliest episodes, including interviews with creators like JMD, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, Mark Bagley, and more, subscribe to our Amazing Spider Talk Back Issues podcast on Apple Podcasts. This podcast episode was edited by Rick Coast. The video version of the show is available on YouTube and was edited by Alex Galucki. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. And our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. So, until we encounter El Abolisco and have all of our podcasting potential drained, our motto remains, with great podcasts, there must also come... The Amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't miss the next in-